passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock alongside Waiting live from the 416 here in Toronto. Wow, okay. You're going to call it that? Really? I don't have to. Just locate. 416. Yeah, okay. That is the, that is our area code Um, for a lot of us. A lot of us, I don't think you can even get a 416 number now. Big famous uh, area code now with uh, with Jody Threat on Impact Wrestling using the F four one six as her finisher. What's the F stand for? Well, what's the F mean? Well, think of like F five, but this is F four one six. Oh, clever, clever. Yeah, I um, you know, uh, it's it's great to have some somebody making trying to make the city look cool. Um, and, it's hard. Uh, okay, I'll be yeah. honest. Like <laughs> I, it, anything. Like we don't have a cool area code, and we're not the coolest city. Let's. let's I mean, what's a cool? What's a cool area code, really? Um, is six one nine that cool? No, no, I don't think there is a cool area code. Nine zero two one zero, but that's not an area code. That's a zip code. <laughs> yeah, like when I think of Toronto, I don't, I, I, I don't think of like, I don't know, dangerous streets. Although there might be some dangerous streets, but I, I, I there, there's some dangerous areas in Toronto, right? Definitely. But I, I guess I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think of it. The in question the way is, how much, York. how much has Drake done for our image? That's really the plenty. Question. He's done a lot. I think he's done a lot. Yeah. But who, who predates Drake? Like when you were growing up, way who was like, okay, we've we might not have a lot, but we have like Master T. I guess it, <laughs> I guess it was like Mike Myers. Um, <laughs> what uh, about Cardinal? Cardinal Official, uh, the Rascals, Northern Touch, maybe, maybe a bit of that. Yeah, uh, Toronto specifically. Hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm really gonna have to rack my, my brain yeah, a little. Yeah, you, you'd have to go over those, uh, those 1999 off the record guest panels and really <laughs> take a look at w- what we had to offer. But anyway, with that said, welcome to the show, folks. We have lots to get to tonight. A dynamite full of uh, returns. Unannounced appearances. We are going to be getting to all of it. We also have uh, news to discuss. But I do want to alert everyone that on Thursday, Brandon Thurston and I will be going live here on this YouTube channel at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time because it's Brandon week at Post Wrestling. And we are coming at you with the one-two Brandon punch on Thursday. I will be facilitating Brandon Thurston and Brandon Ross at of Light Shed Partners joining us 
if you are a regular season pass holder to the WWE earnings calls, you're very familiar with Brandon Ross, who is always on there on the calls. Great questions. And now we're turning it around on him and we will be asking him the questions about the WWE merger and looking at the whole media rights landscape. So uh, one of the, uh, the brightest minds when it comes to this area of expertise. So Brandon Ross will be joining us live two 30 Eastern on Thursday, Friday night, Wei Ting and I will be back. We are going live at 10 PM Eastern time. I didn't know what, Excalibur was was telling me on this broadcast. I think Rampage starts at 9:30, is that correct? Or when the NBA ends? I I would just assume when when the basketball game ends, which I would uh, would would assume would, would be after 10 o'clock. Did, well, the did basketball say game is like at 7, I think. Oh, okay. 7 or 7:30. Um, okay, so it could be or I don't we, know. The point is I don't know when Rampage know. start. Yeah. I we're not reviewing Rampage on Friday. That's the answer, okay? If if people want to follow along Rampage, they can uh, enjoy it as they listen to us in the background. But we will be live 10 Eastern for all post-wrestling cafe members. And then uh, coming up this weekend, Brandon Week continues with Brandon from New Jersey joining Bruce Lord and David Myers on a special edition of Postmarks that it has been promoted very heavily to us on the back channels. Okay. They have told us this is the episode of all episodes. So I'm, I'm certainly intrigued to hear Brandon from New Jersey. Like we have never heard him before uh, joining Bruce and David. Yeah. Yeah. Postmarks is uh, one of my favorite shows to listen to, of course. Um, And they tell us that this might be their favorite episode yet. No offense to everybody who's appeared on the show before, but th- that's just, they've all been great. This one just might be that that much better. So that'll be available actually on the free feed. So just uh, stick to this one, uh, Post Wrestling Cafe for Rewind of Smackdown and all of our other bonuses to come. Putting all the resources behind this one. Yeah, sure. It's a must listen, apparently. So yeah. check that out. Uh, also, ask away. We just, we just did two whole hours with me and John answering all of your questions. That's available right now. Also, in yes. The cafe. Yes. If you want to know what I got to do during my uh, my my two hour break while my child slept, uh, that is the answer. Ask away an hour and 54 minutes uh, and answering plenty of questions. And the final 10 minutes you have been warned ahead of time. The final 10 minutes is our analysis of the most recent edition of Succession, a very significant episode. Some are calling the perfect episode. Could be. Maybe. Maybe not. Find out where we land. You can go check that out. Postwrestlingcafe.com, video.postwrestling.com. If you want to see us thinking about your questions as we are formulating our answers, deep in thought, best way to watch. Mm-hmm. So plenty of stuff coming up uh, all week long at postwrestling.com. We will have a coverage this weekend of all the major shows going on. Rebellion, the finals of Stardom's Cinderella tournament. Man, there is, there's Triple Mania going on. There is... Uh, New, New Japan has shows in the U.S. this weekend. Rampage is airing at some time. And you have a freestanding structure that you're going to climb as well. Yes. I'm less concerned now about the actual climb and more so getting myself back downtown Sunday night for rebellion. That is my thought. Will my legs rebel against me? That is the question. I think uh-huh. I, I will get through this, but it's going to be in the afternoon when suddenly um, – I'm crippled. That's that's there might be it might be a call for an Uber, you know, for, for that particular instance. You don't think I should drive to this? Um, I mean, considering what, that it's out there, and also maybe the the potential status of your legs, um, by that point, may might be a good call to to Uber for that one. Man, yeah. I'm I'm gonna be uh 
I'm going to be Keiji Muto going to Rebellion. I'm going to need someone to wheel me in. You're going to need a young boy. Yeah. Um, I, either, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe look for somebody. Um, but yeah, John and I are doing the CN Tower Climb for Nature 2023, uh, along with the BDE. I believe we might have a fifth contestant as well, and Jesse from The Six, who might also be joining us. So uh, those guys, along with uh, some of my friends, will be doing this on Sunday morning. Very exciting. Thank you to anybody who's donated so far. You can find the link uh, over at Way0937 on Twitter. Uh, it's the pinned comment up top. And uh, how's your training been, John? It's been it's been going well. My mom, by the way, wants to donate. She is She's going to give me cash. So do I just have to make a donation through... Uh... You can do that. I believe you can actually do it like there as well, but it's, it's a hassle. Like uh, the, thank you. Thanks to your mom, but man, um, it's, it's really becoming a cashless society. So w- whatever, whatever you, you my mom like. still deals, you know, she just got her wads of bills. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. My training has been going fine. Like it's been, um, I I've certainly been like the last, whenever I agreed to this three, four weeks ago, I have certainly been making an effort to do this. Am I where I would like to be? No, but I'm I'm not starting from scratch when we when we go into this on Sunday. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. It's going to be I, I know I will be feeling this. I, I am aware of that. I'm yeah. mentally prepared for that aspect. Yeah, same. Like I, WrestleMania week, I think, really threw me off. And so I, I haven't really done a whole lot until like a week ago. So but um, it's it's probably like we're probably sucking ourselves up a, a little bit much. You know, I, I think people tend to get through this like within half an hour. So we'll see if we're uh, over or under at this point. But the point is that at least um, maybe even kickstart a fitness journey. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, we will, uh, we, we will have the rundown on that next week and see, see how things go on four, one, six. Oh, of course. Yes. There you go. Well, there you have it. Let's get into uh, some news items to uh, kick things off. A bunch of stuff going on. So I wanted to start off with um, the story that had come out uh, last week. and wanted to kind of go through it. And that was um, the accusations by Sherilyn Guerrero, who is uh, one of the children of Vicky and the late Eddie Guerrero. And last week, she had gone on TikTok and made an accusation that right before COVID, she was on a cruise with her family and stating that she was sexually assaulted by her stepfather. Now, Vicky has remarried, and that is who uh, Sherilyn was accusing of this sexual assault and stated that, um, yeah, it was my stepdad. Was I the only one? No, but that's not my business to put their story out there, but it happened to me. Later, uh, Shaw Guerrero, her older sister, said that I am deeply saddened at the state of my family uh, and the state my family has been in for years. What my sister stated happened on the cruise was true. She did get sexually assaulted by my stepfather. Sexual assault is never okay, and she has every right to talk about it. Was it rape? No, but it was unwanted touching, which is absolutely unacceptable and traumatizing. Uh, Vicky then uh, put out a pretty lengthy uh, statement of her own on Instagram, and it it was a very ugly statement and just... um, you know, certainly she did not come off well in this statement. And I mean, it's, it was pretty shocking to read, you know, a mother addressing her daughter like this. And also the fact that it was being done in this forum online for the world to see on what is obviously a very deeply, deeply sensitive issue here when you're talking about sexual assault and the response to it. So after that, um, Pretty much Vicky like went just quiet afterwards. And today, through her lawyer, a statement was put up um, referring to uh, Chris Benson, who is 
Vicky's husband, Chris and Vicky Benson vehemently deny Sherilyn Guerrero's recent allegations of sexual assault and abandonment. Ms. Guerrero's unsubstantiated accusations have caused the Bensons to suffer public ridicule, scorn, derision, and humiliation. Chris and Vicky fully appreciate the seriousness of allegations of this nature and the need for public support of sexual assault survivors. However, they ask that you withhold final judgment on this matter until they have an opportunity to bring Ms. Guerrero and her claims into a court of law where judgment is based on facts and merit. So, I mean, this looks to be like they are going to be seeking legal remedy uh, for this. And it, it's a very, very uh, disturbing story. And one that, I mean, at least in this case, like Sherilyn and Shaw Guerrero are like, it seems like they are estranged would be probably a good way to put it. Like they are not that close. And Shaw is corroborating um, th- this account um, that w- from, from this cruise. So I, I do not know where the end is, but this is, certainly going to be a lot of public spotlight on it and it looks like they will be going the legal route here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, when this story broke i mean it was incredibly sad um anytime you think of the name guerrero um in particular eddie you you just think of celebration you think of like you know one of the most revered figures in in our sport uh, or the sport that we cover, and to know that there's unfortunately such a such a rift within his own family between his his children and and um, Vicky is incredibly disappointing. Um, it's incredibly dark. Um, the some of these details, and I I think we you know should like say that it's it's very courageous for um, you know um Sherilyn to step up and, and to speak out because I'm sure there's not very nice uh things coming her way um and uh, you know at this point what can you really say about it but like wait for the courts to that, that that's it I mean you can't an really answer. weigh in beyond that I mean it's going to be like one side versus the other and I don't know what um resolution they're going to find uh with, with all of this but it is it is one of the elements about this stuff playing out on social media like on the one hand you have an outlet where, you know, if you are somebody that has had something horrific happen to you, uh, you can hold those to account. You can you have a place to go. Unfortunately, though, it's it's a really nasty place to litigate. This is online. But mm-hmm. for many, it's like that is an outlet to go to. But um, yeah, it's it, it's it's at, at the core. It's like a family that seems uh, very torn apart and it's being played out publicly as well, which is going to i think add um a lot of of stress and trauma on top of uh, an issue that already comes full of it moving on though um on a a different note a big fight has been announced for august the 5th jake paul is going to be taking on nate diaz in a professional boxing fight what state will this be taking place in why texas of course this will be in dallas at the american Airlines center which is a very big arena uh, they will be contesting this fight at 185 pounds and it will be on DAZN pay-per-view uh, this is after jake paul had been involved with showtime then his last fight with uh, tommy fury was on espn plus and now going over to DAZN. and this will be a co-promotion of Jake Paul's most valuable promotions and Nate Diaz's real fight incorporated. Um, So this will be a fight that it's certainly going to test uh, what a Nate Diaz fight against a relatively well-known opponent means outside of the UFC. Like Nate Diaz has pulled some very big numbers in the UFC, but um, you know, 
as I always state with fights like this, my my barometer for interest is the man on the right here. And today, Wayne and I were having lunch, and I showed him this announcement. And um, if I could reenact it, okay. And that was it. <laughs> that was uh, Way could not have cared at all uh, about this. So I, I that already lowers my expectations on uh, what this is uh, going to be. But n- number one, does this jump out at all at you? at all and the fact that this is head-to-head with SummerSlam do you see that uh like how much crossover do you, do you see in terms of a wrestling fan being interested in a boxing fight like this or do you think this is pretty distinct from uh WWE I think for a wrestling fan it, it's pretty distinct you're more likely to watch Logan Paul um on SummerSlam I, I would say than the, the, you know both Jake Paul brothers are probably going to be in like on each show that night. Yeah. But SummerSlam is one of those events that doesn't just cater to a professional wrestling fan, or at least that's WWE's hope is that, you know, the same people that might've just tuned in once a year for a WrestleMania would also tune in for a SummerSlam. And that's an audience that might be swayed with something like this. The difference of course is SummerSlam is not on pay-per-view. It's a part of a Peacock subscription and whether or not it diverts people's attention from that particular evening, is it as big of an issue to WWE now than, you know, what it would have been if both of them were competing against each other on pay-per-view. Um, but to answer your question, I, I mean, I do have a, an elevated level of interest for this Jake Paul fight than maybe prior Jake Paul fights, just because I'm a bigger fan of, of the Diaz brothers than maybe some of his prior opponents. I think at this point, um, maybe a, a bit of the sort of sideshow nature of a Jake Paul fight has kind of run its course, you know, especially after the loss. But this is one uh, with, you know, a pretty high name value opponent that could spark an uh, elevated amount of interest. And I, I say could because I think a lot of it could could be dependent on how the press conferences are, what the trash talking is like between the two of them, what the show is leading up to the match itself. How much of their, how much of it has, has been out so far? Would you say? I mean, it's, it's a fight that people had had in the back of their minds as soon as Nate was contractually free. So it's not like this came out of nowhere. Um, you know, I, I sense like a good amount of interest for this. I am not one of those looking that this is going to be the, this blockbuster number that they're going to pull. But they've got months to promote this. Um, we'll we'll see. It's 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 unproven with Nate Diaz outside of the UFC and all the promotion that that comes with you know the, the UFC promoting a a big fight. Uh, Jake Paul is coming off of a loss, but these are this to me is probably the most attractive fight you can put together for Jake Paul that is realistic at this point. And this is not just the Jake Paul experiment. Like this is somebody of significant drawing power. Like, I I don't know how much I'm like that interested in, in seeing this fight, but it will be a spectacle. And that's, that's what you're drawing upon here. Can you predict, predict a winner? Who's the favorite even? Oh, I would, I would favor Jake Paul in this fight. Like Nate Diaz, like, yes, he is trained boxing, but this guy's never had a pro boxing fight. And Jake Paul is like, good enough that he is like to me above just the celebrity label like he Mm. he is like a marginal boxer and a marginal boxer is going to beat somebody with with no and this is also at 185 pounds this is a weight that um yeah nate has not competed in mma in so like jake is probably going to be much bigger in, in this fight as well and it's just for a guy that that's coming in without any pro boxing record behind him, I I cannot imagine many people favoring Nate Diaz in this. So if Jake wins, 
does this reinvigorate sort of the interest in a Jake Paul boxing career? And and what what fight would you possibly go to next? Ah, uh, I'm probably the wrong audience for this. I feel like the Jake Paul train has sort of like I I don't think it's as gigantic as some people make it out to be. It's you know he is someone of interest, but to me it's like th- th- this is certainly going to be a fight that it's it's going to have the most attention. But I can't tell you where like a Jake Paul win here necessarily puts him in. Like it, it provides him the avenue to continue having more fights. But literally, we're talking about like KSI as a potential fight after this. Like that's the stuff he is going after. Like this guy has dreams of fighting Canelo, which is just ludicrous to me. Maybe brother versus brother. Well, you know what? You can you can always uh, go to that well uh, in time. Dark Side of the Ring is coming back on May the thirtieth. Tuesday nights at 10 Eastern, and we do not know all of the topics, but they have put out several of the uh, subjects that will be covered in season four. They will include uh, an episode on Tammy Sitch and Chris Candido, Abdullah the Butcher, uh, Magnum TA uh, around his, his car crash that ended his career, and Marty Jannetty. So there will um, wow. probably be some de- some depressing topics in there. Yeah, yeah. Um it's 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 a show that still i think carries a whole lot of interest you know it's it's probably maybe only gotten bigger so we'll see if uh, season four can top season three yeah season three averaged one hundred and seventy seven thousand viewers but for for vice tv like those are very good numbers uh tales from the territories was not a big hit i i would be curious if tales from the territories would come back or if they would even have the territories left to go over. Like they kind of went over all the big ones. I, I don't even know if you would have a slate of all that compelling uh, places to chronicle, but certainly dark side. I think that they um, in that last season got you know, from the steroid trials, the, uh, the Pillman episode, uh, Tom Billington was another one. The plane ride from hell garnered a lot of attention. Um, and this is also one like you have heard of people that, do not want to sit down for these that have had that. So it'll be also interesting to see like who are interviewed for these. If some people come back, if others don't like you've had um, people like Jim Ross, uh, you know, voice their hesitancy to uh, get involved in these. And, you know, it's, it's not always the most pleasant subject matter. Like this is not um, the happy side of the ring. It's the dark Mm -hmm. side of the ring. Mm -hmm. WWE is going to hold their first quarter earnings report and call on Wednesday, May the 3rd at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. This is the part where I always state, love the fact that it's at 8.30 a.m. And then within days, they make an announcement that it's been switched to 5 p.m. So I'm just going to assume that this is going to get moved in time um, as we get forward, uh, look forward to this. Because I know, I know that Nick Khan has not realized that they're going to be going head-to-head with uh, wrestling Dontaku uh, potentially here. Um, you know, the main event could be getting just ending um, right around this time. So I, I don't think they want to go against that kind of competition, but it's the first quarter call. Um, so this is not going to be covering WrestleMania weekend, which bleeds into the second quarter, but this is the first uh, earnings call since the merger. And it'll be as these calls always are, Interesting to see if this is the one where we hear a Vince McMahon on as well. And you have to imagine that the merger is going to dominate the discussion on this. And if we hear if an Ari Emanuel is maybe even on this this call or such, like this is 
kind mm-hmm. of I'm expecting a bit of like a of a state of the business type of earnings call rather than going into all the stuff from the first quarter. But there's there's a lot to digest from um, the, the, this earnings call that's coming up. So it'll probably be a more newsworthy one than than most um, now that they have uh, pretty much laying the groundwork for years to come. May 2nd or May 3rd. Is May 3rd. Yes. Okay. Raw on Monday night, they did a million eight hundred eighteen thousand viewers and a point five nine in the eighteen to forty nine demo. So if we're comparing to last week, that was the night after WrestleMania. It had the commercial free hour uh, to start, so it's 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 a pretty lofty comparison. So they were down like twenty and twenty two percent respectively. But if you go back two weeks to the go home show, they were only down one percent in viewers, and they were actually up six percent. In the demo, so in line with a more normal raw, because last week was a pretty inflated figure, but they were first on television Monday night. Um, what hurt them uh, was a very low first hour. It was their lowest opening hour since January the 16th. And in looking at the numbers, it was their 50 plus demo um, that was the lowest of the year in that first hour because Tucker Carlson was through the roof. So they did Tucker Carlson did a 2.35 rating in 50 plus. So with all of the, the Donald Trump coverage, um, Fox news is just uh, doing tremendous as they're uh, facing a potential uh, their defamation suit. Are you following this? Not at all. The dominion no. lawsuit. Fascinating stuff. Hmm. Uh, so anyway, once uh, Tucker Carlson ended, uh, Rod did see a big growth in the second hour in 50 plus. And I would attribute that first hour to just their older audience uh, watching news on Monday night. But you saw a big jump in the second hour for Raw. And overall, throughout the show, Raw maintained its audience pretty well. But part of that is a low first hour. And uh, Canada did 254,000 viewers. It was their lowest Canadian figure since January 16th. So a raw that was kind of uh, all over the place as uh, Canada settling back down post WrestleMania until a few short weeks when we get a draft and we'll uh, we'll see what the the draft impact has. They're really teasing this draft hard way. I think it's it's just going to be a gigantic event. Don't you think we still don't know when it is? No, we have no clue. Maybe we'll just tune into raw one Monday. It's surprise. It's tonight. Probably be across two nights like it was prior years, right? They should make it across a whole month. Sure. One one draft pick. They did that one year. They did that one year where it was like a month of just draft picks back and forth. NXT on Tuesday, not so great. 528,000 viewers, which is the lowest amount NXT has ever done on the USA, the USA network. So that's excluding any episodes on sci-fi and a 0.13 in the demo. This was against the, uh, the play in game uh, between the Atlanta Hawks and Miami heat, which uh, did pretty big on TNT and the juggernaut Tucker Carlson on Fox news. So um, their demo was actually exactly the same from last week. The demo was not all that bad of a number by NXT standards, but the viewership, it was only a 5% drop, but that was enough to make it the lowest ever. So the sky is falling in NXT way. <laughs> People are not interested in uh, who attack pretty deadly. They are not uh, They are not digging Zoe Stark, mocking Roxanne Perez and her anxiety. Hmm. And I suppose um, it could be a bit of that WrestleMania, post-WrestleMania lull. Maybe people just having enough of professional wrestling uh, for a time, but... Yeah. yeah, from NXT, there was uh, not a whole lot to this show. They are building up to spring breaking in two weeks, where it will be Carmelo Hayes against Grayson Waller. Waller winning uh, the four-way main event. 
and some other highlights from the show. Uh, Roxanne Perez was back, so she is going to face Zoe Stark next week. Uh, Tank Ledger made his NXT debut, and Tank Ledger is a former defensive lineman, Joe Spivak, who is someone that they have uh, singled out from their NIL program that they seem very, very high on. Um, So he is an interesting one to watch. He's been on level up for several weeks, and now this was his official NXT debut, losing to Joe Coffey. And um, yeah, so someone that, you know, this NIL program, they really want to have some standouts that are going to, you know, endorse this program. Um, And Joe Spivak looks to be one of those guys that they're um, is probably going to be fast tracked on NXT. Have you seen Gable Steveson? He is going back. He's, he's going to be doing uh amateur wrestling uh, later mm-hmm. this year. So yeah. I guess so what does that mean? I don't know what, what this means for this guy. Like, does he have Olympic aspirations for 2024? Because if so, I don't know if WWE is going to be in the cards for this guy. Yeah. You Other than both. Kurt Angle's birthday mate every year to show up <laughs> in, his, in, in his birthday entourage. Also uh, in an update from last week, Jagger Reed and Rip Fowler were on the show this week. So mm-hmm. what had turned out um, the observer had reported that they had requested their release. And at first it had been conveyed to Dave Meltzer that it had been accepted. It turns out their request for a release was not accepted so don't know Hmm. what their long-term status is but they're getting a tag title shot next week so maybe this was the whole plan of the dyad was um now they're they're against gallus and the creeds next week sort of an uncomfortable position to be yeah we want out no okay (laughs) we'll find out we'll find out what those negotiations might have been like i guess with the result of this match yeah we will see how this goes (laughs) new japan all japan and noah they have made the announcement they will be presenting all together on Friday, June the 9th at Sumo Hall, it will be a $30 pay-per-view on New Japan World. Uh, Altogether is a concept that they did in 2011 after the tsunami and earthquake. And then they did a follow-up show the next year, but they have not done it since. So you will have involvement from the three companies. And could this not just be the poster? This is like, look at these three men. They are ready to represent their companies with, I mean, who is the tailor here? And who's who's wearing the best uh tux here i i oh. think tanahashi narrowly tops kento miyahara with kaito kiyomiya you know it is it's still like look at my first suit that i just got from uh from keiji muto who took me out shopping <laughs> i think you they work well as a trio clearly color coordinated clearly talk to each other maybe even went to the same tailor you know tanahashi get- even put in teeth for this photo <laughs> that is correct. Absolutely. Uh, all of them with their, uh, you know, best uh, hair dye jobs. Oh, yeah. Uh, really looking like a wonderful um, boy band, I would say. I, I would say they're ready to do their own spinoff of emo emo fight. I, I, sign me up. I'm there. Absolutely. Yeah, this this sounds like a really exciting idea. I, I was not watching um, Japanese wrestling at all or following it that much. Well, when the last time they did one of these, obviously we've had, you know, co-promoted events between some of these promotions themselves, but not all of them under the same roof. And I, I think it's, it seems like it's for a good cause, but I'm also also curious if it opens any more permanent doors, um, no pun intended, um, you know, to between all the promotions for continued storylines. If you were to be contacted by Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kento Miyahara and Kaito Kiyomiya, and they were asking the great way Ting for some grooming tips. What would you have to offer them for some advice? 
Oh goodness! Wow, <laughs> what a weird question, John. Um, but one that I have an absolutely perfect answer for, as I knew you would, because I would like to thank a new sponsor here at Post Wrestling. Our thanks to Manscaped.com for their support of Post. If you listen to podcasts, everybody. You've probably heard of Manscaped. You know that they're the company that has cornered the market on male body grooming. So it's probably no surprise that they've now moved on up above the neckline with their new beard hedger. John, as a video You podcast, got product? Look at oh, this. Oh, are you kidding me? Come on, look at this clean shave. Isn't it nice? It, it, you've always had the very nice, nice uh, attention to detail. I have to say, John, you know, we, we have it pretty easy as video podcasters. It's pretty easy to just get up here, turn on the camera. I put my hat on and like we're done. I, we don't really have to worry about a whole lot. You know, I could be wearing like shorts underneath here, sweatpants. None of you guys will ever know. But the only thing I can't hide is the hair on this face. And so, you know, I must take my facial hair grooming, beard trimming very seriously. The new beard hedger from Manscaped sleekly designed with a unique cutting angle whether you're looking for a precise thinner look or if you're going for a full-on Braden harrington uh, Ooh. i gotta ask that guy for for some grooming tips um he, he <laughs> always keeps his beard very very well kept uh, no need to mess around with multiple attachments you can use the 20 links from their uh, zoom wheel personally i go about five on the sides and about 10 on the bottom 60 minute runtime on a usb rechargeable battery and ipx7 rated waterproof so you can wash it off in the shower or under the tap comes with some beautiful packaging so it makes for a lovely classy gift and if you're looking for a father's day father's day gift this year uh just thinking ahead even though we're in april i mean it's not really that far away uh, the beard hedger pro kit which i've actually got here might be a lovely suggestion it's got uh, a lot of other things including this what is this like a beard shampoo uh beard oil oops sorry there we go uh comb brush all this all this other stuff that damn uh would you like a would you like to try this john i, I was like gonna get a beard for then... father's day and now you've uh <laughs> manscaped to scoop my gift for you well uh maybe you have another father that you'd like to give to and if you are listening to this you are in luck because they have provided us with a 20 percent off code for all post wrestling listeners using code post wrestling at manscaped dot com again manscaped.com or dot ca if you're in canada get yourself an entire 20 percent off your order using checkout code post wrestling free shipping as well so you can also find these links in our show notes our thanks again to manscaped for their support of post wrestling there you go thank you final notes here before we get into the review is uh, just looking ahead to this weekend some of the big shows we won't go through everything here but saturday night new japan has capital collision in Washington with the uh, Motor City Machine Guns taking on Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada and Aussie Open for the strong open weight tag titles uh, as well. Uh, Kenta against Eddie Edwards for the strong open weight title. Zack Sabre Jr. against Tom Lawler for the uh, New Japan television title uh, among the matches on this card. Sunday, they're in Philadelphia, and that has the Lance Archer Juice Robinson match where the winner will face the Osprey Tanahashi winner at Dominion on June the 4th. Triple Mania has their first of three branded events for 2023, uh, kicking off Sunday in Monterey. And this is a show that we'll see uh, Io Del Vikingo defending the Mega Championship against Commander Rich Swan and Swerve Strickland, which is quite the, the four-way match that they have uh, thrown together for this main event. 
Pentagon Jr. and Alberto El Patron take on L.A. Park and Rouge, Blue Demon Jr. and uh, Diamante Azul, and Psycho Clown and Sam Adonis. Uh, that will be a four-way match. And then the match that was the match that they were building everything around for this show was Chessman and this social media influencer who, forgive me, I'm not familiar with, Adrian Marcello. So the deal was this celebrity um, had to go get licensed in Monterey. He could not finish the, uh, he could not finish like the, the drill period to get licensed. So he was not granted a license and therefore. So he couldn't pass a physical basically. Yeah. You had to go through this whole drill and apparently he, he gave up after like a certain amount of time and they're not, and they're a very strict commission in Monterey. So now, and this guy, he is apparently also just had a, a sexual assault allegation levied against him over the past week. So not the, uh, not the uh, the smoothest uh, celebrity that they are uh, working with here. So now it is Chessman against mystery opponent for Saturday night. Um, I would imagine um, that Adrian Marcelo will be here because this has got a lot of attention in Mexico, um, including someone filming them going over their match and it became mainstream news. It's pretty mm-hmm. ridiculous, but okay. I guess they will just have to push this match to another city that is, uh, you know, it, when when all fails, Texas will just screen light them. So they could always go to Texas for, for this match. Uh, 10-way cage match where the final two will have a mask versus mask match. And uh, Negro Casas, who has uh, jumped on over to, to AAA, uh, teaming with uh, Lady Shani, Latigo, Dave the Clown, and Aris against El Zorro, Flamer, Toscano, Baby Extreme, and tba upcoming up and coming luchador tba a lot of work for tba on this show busy double booked Hmm. and then impact uh has rebellion on sunday night and their go home show happening on thursday night where we will find out is mickey james cleared to take part in the knockouts title match on sunday in toronto it's a packed weekend cinderella finals are also happening Mm -hmm. typical pro wrestling weekend i think we're due you know it's been a quiet month yeah Way Way is just clearing the schedule for Arnold Allen and Max Holloway Saturday night in Kansas City. Huge fight. All right. On that note, it is time for the Dynamite Review from the Panther Arena in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, Not a a gigantic Dynamite crowd, but this felt like a show that they were going to throw a lot of surprises in there. So I've got to say, on, on paper, going into tonight, this felt like a a way more toned down dynamite. Like this was not a lineup that I looked at and had the usual level of expectations that most dynamite lineups had like this. Mm-hmm. It looked fine, but was there anything on this lineup going into tonight that you saw as, you know, big? Cause I didn't No, no, no. Um, no, you know, maybe a Kenny Omega match. No, uh bucks match. All the um, biggest things on this show were unannounced. Yes, yes. So they relied on surprises tonight. Mm. Darby Allen and Swerve Strickland started the show with Brian Cage and Prince Nana in Strickland's corner. So there has been a merger between mogul affiliates and the embassy, the mogul embassy, as we found out on Rampage. So this is our our new grouping together. Although um, Toa and Khan, I guess maybe they're the Ring of Honor chapter of the mogul embassy because they were not with them here. I guess they're there when they, they they're willing to. Um, it made no probably no sense for them to have to fly all the way here just to do this little run in, you know. 
I I think they probably want to maybe save on a bit of travel. How about Adam Cole flying all the way here for for tonight? Uh, to check on no. his buddy. So the embassy attacks. Uh, th- this was uh, the the rampage highlights of them laying out Darby, who was hit by a car on Thursday. So of course works the next night and gets destroyed like a Darby Allen would. And now he has another match uh, here. Um, and they were they were like zooming in on him on rampage, so you could see like the marks on his back from being hit by this car, which I guess was not filmed because I'm sure it would have aired by now. Or he's saving this for his next pay per view intro. Typical weekend. Yes. Uh, we have Darby nailing him with a Lope at a million miles an hour. And then Swerve takes Darby's belt off and starts whipping him. And we see Guevara and Ty Conti scouting from the back. Later, we saw uh, Jungle Boy. Darby is bleeding from the mouth and Swerve is pulling the chain across Darby's mouth. And then after the break, Swerve is put in the tree of woe and Darby removes his boot and starts biting his foot. And then goes for the knee bar and is trying to take out Swerve's leg. He continues attacking the ankle. He's going for submissions. And then Darby is on top of his shoulders and turns it into a poison Rana, sending Swerve off the edge of the apron to the floor. Follows with a coffin drop when Prince Nana comes down and puts Swerve's leg on the rope. And then Darby walks up the ramp. Brian Cage appears and Darby returns to the ring. Swerve nails him with the kick. Hits the swerve stomp, but his ankle is hurt, so he's delayed in going for the cover and allows uh, Darby to kick out. JML driver gets stopped. Cage trips up Darby, and then Aubrey Edwards ejects the embassy, and a code red is hit. Big pop for the kick out, and Darby catches him with the last supper, the same way he pinned him in the Owen Hart tournament last year. 14 minutes and 40 seconds. These two have really great chemistry together going back to their, their days in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, this was not an exception. I thought this, this was a show that maybe it was lacking in, in some of the sizzle going in, but there was some very good wrestling on this show. And this was definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. Really good match, really good opener, lots of spectacle in matches between these two, just from their athleticism to mm, the creativity and the sort of, daredevil nature of wanting to pull off a crazy spot like that poison rana off the apron um absolute insanity i thought the finish was really well built up to you know considering the history between the two and how protected of a move the last supper has been for darby allen it's his ultimate finisher nobody kicks out of it once they lock it in you also of course have the ankle injury or the leg injury for swerve and it happens to be a leg pin in combination that specifically figure fours the legs so you have that excuse that protects swerve even in the loss i guess you can maybe question the booking because is it is it really um the best time to have swerve in a losing situation against somebody who's about to go for a a title match i like the fact that in AEW they're not afraid to make people lose even if they just you know merged a, a, a faction for instance because um you can find other ways for guys to regain their heat and they did do that for sort of later on darby is the guy going for the title booking made sense and um i i think it's he's he's feeling like a really hot um candidate right now was it a mistake not to do this finish last friday why the last supper on good friday oh um was it a mistake <laughs> yeah huge company's going out of business after that one you can't miss on those ones then out comes mjf 
And we go to break. And during the whole commercial, we assume that MJF is just standing in the ring and Darby is seated in the corner waiting for us to return. And MJF insults Milwaukee, calls it an incredible match. And the fact that Darby won without his daddy, Sting. He brings up his full gear 2021 match that he had with Darby. A match that might have been Way's match of the year that year. I don't know if it was my match of the year, but I, I it was up I, there. You were, I, it was a very good match, really, I, really good match. It's still probably to this day maybe one of my favorite pay per view openers. It, yeah, it that really is what you great. said. Yeah, yeah, one of the, the best pay per view uh, openers. And I, I like the fact that he brought it up here as a way to just kind of remind everybody, hey, like this, this was a pretty great match. You know, I think honestly for the buildup of this, they should throw MJF's matches with these three. Just put them on YouTube or something like just easily accessible. They're all great matches that he's had with these with these three in AEW, and it just ties it ties in with the current storytelling that they're doing like with the headlock takeover let people just give an easy way to refresh people on them he calls that match one of the best matches in wrestling history and the darby is a shitty little emo schmuck but he's one of the best guys he has ever faced but then mocks him that he won with a simple headlock takeover you're not at the level of the devil which is a great (laughs) line darby comes back and asks are you happy are you happy max Because I met you six years ago when you were wrestling in front of 30 people and you thought all your problems would disappear once you were on national TV. But here you are. Nothing has changed. Darby thought the same thing. I chased material things and nothing changed. So during my first year in AEW, I started to go to therapy and I stopped caring about myself. And with my money, I bought my parents a house and I helped my dad retire. And no, my dad is not Sting. Sting is my best friend in this business. This is just a 15-minute ride. I'm not going to lower my morals to be someone in this world like you, MJF. And MJF calls him an arrogant little boy. He's sick of all of them whining about his morals. Morals kill careers in this sport. And he thinks Darby is a gutless coward that doesn't doesn't have the balls to sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed. And I'm aware that I might be on my deathbed alone and that I might not go to heaven. I don't give a shit as long as I've got this belt with me. So this guy is not only planning to be the longest reigning champion ever, but keeping it until death. Like you will have to beat this man on his deathbed. He is not dropping this belt. That could be decades. Bruno, step aside. Okay. A thousand days, please. That's going to be a blip on this reign. If this guy makes it to 75, He's going to have to. We could have a 50 year reign here if he's planning to go to his deathbed with this thing. I'm sure he'll lose it a couple times in between, but he's going to have to stay in pretty good shape if he hopes to live long. Yeah. MJF will do anything to leave a legacy in the sport and be the greatest of all time, while Darby will go down being known as Sting's bitch. So before we get to uh, Uncle Sting showing up, what do you think here? Uh, more so of, of Darby. Uh, we know like the, the Mac side of the, these promos, but sort of a lot of these segments are sort of an audition for the challenger to mm-hmm. go toe to toe with, with MJF and stand out in a setting, especially for Darby that he is not accustomed to. Yeah. Well, 
I, w- I would agree with that. But I mean, we've I think we've heard enough of Darby Allen on the microphone, whether it be in the ring, in these sort of face to face segments or even backstage, you know, as he like cuts promos to the cameras to know that he could speak. Qu- quick yeah. messaging, though, this this was more of like of a lengthier segment where he had yeah. to go through more. But y- you're right. Like this he, was a different level for sure. You know, yeah, um, more uh, ambitious. Yeah, I, I was pretty loud by Darby Allen here. You know, I, I first of all, I enjoy how much every guy is getting a chance to kind of be in the spotlight this entire program. Now that MJF of the four pillars is elevated to the main event level, the idea of this program is to elevate the other three up to a similar status. And I think Darby is the closest one if he's not already there. And I think you watch a segment like tonight and you you argue that the guy is already there because this was like this was a main event level promo, you know, to, to hear like the genuine wisdom that was in his words as he was like, you know, kind of speaking about his philosophy on life, um, admitting, you know, that um, in his first year of arguably the biggest success of his life, it being on AEW national TV, he had to go seek therapy because of other underlying issues. I, I, I think these are like heroic words and they carried a lot of substance and gave you almost like a little bit like of a glimpse into just, you know, his, his, his philosophy on life that I wouldn't necessarily expect to hear from a professional wrestling show, but um, there's, there's a lot within this guy beyond just maybe the daredevil antics. And um, it it came across really heroic here and it works as a wonderful contrast to MJF. Sting comes out. This was another surprise on the show because he was not advertised and the place explodes for sting and he comes out. And he's been offended by all this daddy daycare talk. Says, I'm not the daycare type. I'm more of a cheerleader. And he starts pulling out pom-poms from his jacket. And he just keeps pulling out pom-pom after pom-pom and throwing them at MJF. This felt like some of those stories you've heard in like WWE where they'll give you an object and that's your audition. Sell me on the, like, use this object to sell it. And it, all, it was almost like, hey, Sting, I bet you can't get a pom-pom over. It's like, I will get 18 pom-poms over. This was so weird. I don't even know the genesis of how you come up with this. I'm guessing he was trying to bleed a bit of Joker Sting into this particular promo as he was alluding to. Um, oh, he maybe, did. Maybe at this stage of his career, he's just like, hey, I got free time on TV. Um, I'm just going to try shit. And maybe saw some pom poms. Like I'm, I'm assuming they're in some sort of um arena that had pom poms from cheerleaders uh, backstage, and just decided to somehow incorporate it. This was in the yes. It was the most Joker's thing we've had um in AEW so far. So when Sting's talking about Daddy Daycare, he refers to Cody Daycare, but he catches himself and realizes, oh, did I say Cody? As an obvious dig here at MJF, calling out his hypocrisy that you had your own cheerleader and protector in Cody, who's now gone. Sting says, once upon a time, I had someone looking after me. That was Ric Flair. And he just looks into the camera and tells Ric Flair how much he loves him, then Mentions his various incarnations. When he gets to the Wolfpack version of Sting, he shouts out Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. And I've even got I don't a think little... Nash was watching. Well, <laughs> he doesn't watch Dynamite. Well, maybe maybe this one. This will be on his DVR. He'll he'll skim through. He'll he'll find this one. And now um, Sting says he's got a little Joker left in him too. But I don't have a hunger for this world title. Showtime is almost over. 
And it's just starting for this man, Darby Allen, who he says will one day become AEW champion. And Darby ends it by saying this, this fake plastic world is not taking me alive. I will become the next champion. And then MJF spits in his face and takes off to end what I thought was a very strong segment. And I know what they're building towards, but you cannot tell me that Sting and MJF having a match is not something that I hope they do before it's like, honestly, I almost wish the line of, I have no hunger for this title was actually not part of this. Like Sting going for, for the title against MJF, I think would be a hell of a final match for Sting. If, if, if there's a Sting match against the world champion, you'd want it to be a, a, against the heel like MJF. Absolutely. And I, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't necessarily say that like he would have inserted that line in there without knowing that he's going to make the audience want to see it. Uh, it so. It's an easy way to also like reinvigorate that hunger at a, at a later date and de- mm-hmm. declaring I'm going to like he could demolish Darby or, or something like that. But it's. I understand the focus right now is Darby, but man, MJF and Sting to me would be a big match. Yes, yes. And I think I, especially it, with his like career on the line or something. It's it, it would be Sting's biggest challenge. I don't think he's wrestled a singles match yet in AEW and he's a lot older than he was when he entered AEW, so can he necessarily pull it off? Um, the audience certainly would love to see it, you know. But Sting's promo um, it, it maybe it was our first hint of what might be an impending retirement. I mean, beyond the specific mention from Sting himself, mm-hmm. this promo felt really reflective. He was like going through the various iterations of his character. It like, felt like a retirement speech in, in a way or Hall of Fame induction speech where he thanked all the people um, that helped him like like a flair, Hall and Ash. So I, I wondered if, if we should be looking any more deeper into this, especially with the sort of, you know, at least teasing or mention of a potential world championship match, even though he said you, he didn't want it. Well, I mean, the retirement, we know it's, it's coming. It's just a question of when, like he's in, you know, he has stated like, this is like the last year or his deals up in the end of the year. And, and you're looking at like, you have some big shows booked and a sting retirement would be, if if promoted correctly, will be a big deal. And I would state Mm -hmm. that it's, like this AEW run has turned it into something where Sting doing his final match is going to mean a lot. Like he has put in the work during this run that he has become the the living legend on the roster. So yeah. I think you can do something really big with him for this retirement. And then the question is who you pair him with. And, and I think MJF is certainly not the worst idea to mm-hmm. do it with. Powerhouse Hobbs against Silas Young, Milwaukee's own for the TNT Championship. This was an open challenge that I guess Silas was uh, regretting answering. Hobbs is uh, arriving in the new car that QT bought him, and he hands the keys to a security guard, warning him about anything happening to this car. And then Taz says, man, Hobbs loves this car. He loves that car so much. (laughs) I mean, God, you could have just put a countdown to this this car's doom. Uh, Dude, murdered Silas Young, hit a spine buster and town business in 43 seconds, just destroyed this guy. I mean, just uh, welcome home. Too, honestly um, a little surprised you know like silas young isn't somebody without any sort of um name value like he's he's not just a, a jobber like he's uh, was a mainstay at and, and Ring of Honor. because he's like from the city too like and you, you just killed this guy in his hometown yeah not saying like he, it was bad booking to have hobbs look so strong over somebody i was just surprised that they would use it or like have this sort of match that was so non-competitive with somebody who does have a bit of a name value 
So Hobbs and QT go to take Silas up the ramp. They're not done. And then Wardlow is on the screen and takes it sends the security member running and he starts bashing powerhouse Hobbs car with a pipe. He drills the window and then he gets into the forklift flips over the car and then he gets out of the forklift, which is still in drive and just keeps going straight. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if this was intentional. I, I maybe um, safety wise, it would tell me no, but I mean, it had a pretty cool effect. The car ended up just like ramming into the forklift ended up like just, you know, basically rolling into the car and he just kind of walked away like a badass, like he meant to do it. So it turned out pretty well. I would say this angle. Yeah, I mean, these uh, forklift angles are always, um, you know, they, they, this was not Brock level, but it was uh, not bad. So Hobbs then is so furious about all this. So he's going to soothe himself by powerbombing Silas off the stage. But Wardlow comes into the arena. They brawl and the crowd is chanting for Wardlow. And it ends with Wardlow powerbombing Aaron Solo off the stage through a stack of tables and this was the spot they had just done in january that anna jay got all messed up with with her ribs mm. and like this stack of tables uh solo went through like the he went through like one side of it but not the other and hopefully it was a okay landing for him so it was hard to yeah. tell i hope so too hope he's all right um I thought the angle turned out well, you know, the stone cold car angle. I, um, I, I think it turned out well. I, I guess at this point with Wardlow, I, I, we've been through so many gimmicks already with Wardlow. When I say gimmicks, I mean like, you know, like him, like busting through the security guards, like doing the, um, multiple power bombs at the end of the gimmicks. We were left with a guy who I would say was sort of an underwhelming champion, whether that be through booking or maybe you could say it was just maybe through a lack of charisma or a lack of connection to an audience or a lack of in-ring sort of like specialness about him once he was left alone with the championship. So now we're we're going through another gimmick with him, like doing like this sort of Austin vehicular, you know, car attack. And I, I guess I'm not as excited this time around for them to reheat Wardlow because uh, am I necessarily convinced that there's more to the performer once they do you know give him the championship again yeah and I think it's also a level of the depth in AEW that if you are ranking sort of like your your projects if you want to label it as such like the people that are you're building to contenders for MJF for instance, Wardlow has that that history like that's a program that would be on the table. But how many guys are ahead of Wardlow? Like it's, it's quite a lot. And yeah. that that sort of reflects like where the depth is, um, you know, in a in a company that would not have that depth. I think Wardlow would come across as a bigger star because he would have to be booked like a bigger star. He's sort of in this role where the the most compelling aspect was the chase for mm-hmm. MJF after he broke away and then going for the title and then he got there and it was sort of what's next. And I think moving to that next year has been the struggle for Wardlow. I don't yeah. think he's winning this title back next week. I don't know how much clamoring there is. I think there's more interest in, in Hobbs at this point than there is Wardlow. Yeah. I don't see Hobbs dropping it just because we've been through the Wardlow TNT experiment. So I'm actually looking to see what sort of character evolution we get from Wardlow. Um, Again, we we've kind of seen this guy, you know, already, and he he hasn't necessarily escalated to that next level. Just being this guy, 
is the answer necessarily a heel turn? Like most of the time when a guy is stuck at this level, the automatic automatic answer is, yeah, you turn him heel, see what he could do. Is that the answer this time around? Maybe, maybe. Does it have to be? Um, I'm not sure, but um, he definitely definitely need need something to you know take him to that next step. Jay White has a video message, and we get shots of past Bullet Club members, including AJ Styles and Kenny Omega, but says there are none better than Jay White and Juice Robinson. And White is here to claim what is his. This will be the greatest era of the Bullet Club ever. They are taking over AEW. This is Bullet Club gold, which Mm -hmm. can only be a veiled reference that Jeff Jarrett is going to be reuniting with his Bullet Club mates. (laughs) Bullet Club gold available now. Perfect. Absolutely. We we already have... um product it sounded like a bad like mastercard promotion (laughs) bullet club gold yeah i don't like this name in the least yeah i um, so i they haven't really explained how jay white has suddenly found himself back in bullet bullet club you know after being um attacked by finley and uh, who's now like he didn't sign with wwe that's how he found himself in bullet club again (laughs) well sure um can you take me back guys yeah um i guess you can argue like in in the sort of uh, context of the bullet club maybe they're a subgroup similar to like what the house of torture are um so okay i guess you could license the bullet club and make it your own franchise you can franchise (laughs) you can franchise the bullet club depending on uh, which promotion you're under like like the west coast avengers i guess um two weeks in i'm not feeling this all that much for Jay White. You know, again, I picture this guy coming in and automatically being inserted into something that feels more like a main event. And this pairing with Juice Robinson like this kind of feels just incredibly mid-card for me for a guy that I felt, you know, had so much buzz surrounding his free agency. But he's feuding with Starks and obviously the idea would be something like a Jay White versus Ricky Starks. And what happens after that? Um, that'll maybe be the ultimate decision. But what do you think, John? Bullet Club Gold. I'm I'm really out of the Bullet Club stuff, but it is uh, something that is never going away as they get set to celebrate their 10-year anniversary. Um, yeah, I would say two weeks in, I, I feel that's a little early to be declaring anything, but has Jay White come in and been this big impact player? He has not felt like that um, two weeks in, but it's it's early. But I mean, that was always my concern of Jay White coming to AEW is – it, it's very hard to break through and become like a featured, featured star. And and you're linked with a guy in Juice Robinson that is kind of the example of what you don't want to follow. Like Juice Robinson's a talented guy, but this is a roster full of talented guys. And you need to be more that like you have to have something unique and special that sets you apart, that you are in that that upper that upper echelon. And that that's a very hard club to uh, navigate into. And Jay White does not feel like he is coming in and entering that, that space yet in AEW. Yeah, not yet. I think we'll be able to tell maybe after the Starks feud, but I'm also not necessarily sure they'll be winning the Starks feud. I, in fact, I, I Starks has taken should. some steps back. Certainly. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, from where, where, how hot he was. And I would even go back, like just coming off the Jericho program, like where he was to, to right now, like there's, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's been like, and th- this feud, they're going to have their work cut out for them to garner that attention. 
Orange Cassidy and Buddy Matthews for the international championship. I thought this match was great. Mm-hmm. Orange pa- Cassidy, like the story is he's doing all these title defenses and his he's battling injuries. In this case, his hand is damaged. It's wrapped up. And early in the match, uh, Doc Sampson has to check on the hand and Buddy stomps on it and beat on this hand throughout the the picture in picture he's putting the hand into the turnbuckle and orange would manage a beach break on the apron and coming up with offense that would be able to alleviate the injury to his hand while also realizing that he's got to try this orange punch to finish him but would not have the effectiveness of the orange punch if he tried this so a lot of buddies offense all going after this hand There's a tornado DDT off the top by Orange Cassidy that looked unbelievable. Then does another one through the ropes and then a diving DDT off the top for a two count. So Buddy takes three DDTs, kicks out. There's a roll-up attempt and Cassidy lands the orange punch for a near fall where they explain the hand is compromised and couldn't have the full effect of the punch. So Cassidy tells Buddy Matthews to hit him, but then he collapses, but he's playing possum. Buddy avoids the orange punch, tries for a curb stomp. There's a massive near fall, and then a pump handle gets countered with the mousetrap by Orange Cassidy in 14 minutes and 10 seconds. So Cassidy having to reach to his his extra artillery in the mousetrap to pull out the victory here. I thought this match was so great, and I, I don't really sense like the detractors that once existed for Orange Cassidy, but this guy to me is still underappreciated when we talk among like the best wrestlers that are going today this guy never has anything close to a just good match it Mm -hmm. is all different styles that he works different stories he weaves in body parts being sold i i am just so impressed with with this guy on a weekly basis and like this title run has been excellent and i think it often doesn't get that attention i think he's certainly proving to be the most consistent wrestler on this roster, you know, certainly the champion that's the most active and of those title defenses. I don't think you can really point to any of them to to, maybe the Jarrett match um, from what I recall might have not been that um, special, but I mean, that was also against Jeff Jarrett, you know, at at a much, you know, older age than most people that he's facing, but orange Cassidy is um, really deserves, I think a lot of respect. And this was a match that even amongst, um, the high caliber of title defenses that he's had. This match stood out to me because I thought Cassidy's selling of his hand was just absolutely phenomenal throughout. He not only, you know, did a great job kind of conveying the the pain, but I thought he did a great job tailoring every single move to either avoid the use of his hand or to use the hand, but having a significant effect um, on him for the rest of the match. Um, A lot of guys sell body parts, but I thought this was a step above what you usually see. And I thought Buddy Matthews was also really, really great. He was great in this match. He was really, really great. Um, One one of his better performances in AEW too. Like this, they they got a lot of time and they made the most of it. This was my match of the show. I put this ahead of the, uh, the opener. Might as well. Just like, you know, but Matthews, like, he plays a great aggressor for somebody like an orange Cassidy because he's just got this powerful technical style and he looks big. Like he looks big in an AEW, um, Mm -hmm. which makes him a great fit for the house of black. Uh, But I, I mean, there's so much potential, you know, for matches with him uh, amongst this roster. So by the end of this match, I thought they did such a great job of telling that hand story that I would have been actually perfectly satisfied if they did a title switch. Like, I think this audience was buying on like, there were several of these near falls that, 
they bit on uh, towards yeah. the end. Like they did a really great job of convincing you of that fact. And that's sort of the idea that like he can only take so much of this punishment before he's finally going to be overwhelmed by it. And I yeah. think we're going to get one like a surprise title loss. And I think it's going to be against someone that you're not expecting because of the, mm-hmm. the injuries piling up. Yeah. And I, whoever it is, I hope they're as good as Buddy Matthews or maybe even Buddy Matthews himself. Cause at the end of the match, he kind of like, you know, showed like, Hey, I was this close certainly built my interest in wanting to see a rematch between these two. This was great. Quick vignette with Christian and Luchasaurus and Christian stating that some things have changed. Renee's with the best friends in orange Cassidy. Trent says orange is fine. He's on the run of his life and makes us a bit jealous. So they issue a challenge to Aussie open to show up in Milwaukee in about an hour for rampage. So we can challenge you for the IWGP tag titles. And they teleported and that is what you're getting on Friday night uh, with Aussie Open against the best friends. One of the perks of being champion is uh, you you get access to all the best flights. So I'm sure they yeah. made it. That's, that's what happened to all those guys on Raw. No no, no champions. Yeah, I, I mean, pretty big deal. Like, man, a lot of buzz around, around Aussie Open. Um, I guess... A pretty Rampage. busy weekend now with like Capital Collision the next night and right. be on, on the tapings in Philly on, on mm-hmm. Sunday. So, yes. Ethan Page is in the ring. He explains they've, they've been going through a rough patch with the firm, I'll say. Mentions Hook beating up Stokely, and he has been a mess. No time for a haircut, but still looks better than these fans because he goes uh, and uses the promo code post-wrestling at Manscaped. At Manscaped.com, yes. He needs answers. Why did Matt hit him with the title? Matt still works for him. So Matt Hardy and Isaiah Cassidy come out. And Matt Hardy, God, I wish I was watching this with Way. His favorite stories in wrestling revolve around contracts. But even better, fine print in the contracts. (laughs) So Matt brings up the reason that I've treated you like trash is because I worked you into signing that contract. Where in the fine print, it said if Hook beats ethan page they are no longer under the dominion of the firm and they get to choose the next match the next location and the next stipulation so this contract that was signed months ago had the foresight to know hook was going to get a match with ethan page right um unless there was a different contract that that they were talking about specific to this hook match that i'm i'm not aware of doesn't matter so he then states that i'm going to choose the stipulation that if we win we are contractually free yeah did i get this right you got it right to me if hook beats ethan we're no longer Mm -hmm. under your dominion yeah so there's a difference between being under the dominion of and being contractually bound to please explain legal expert um i guess being under the dominion of means um they get to control you being under contract means i guess you know you're no longer under control so you have free will but um you're still um you can't shop around you can't shop around you can't sign with anybody else any other manager it's fucking terrible okay and they had even like you know a chance to just completely fix it and even in the fix they've completely fucked it up like why wouldn't Matt hardy have simply i need to see this fine print okay because like why like why why couldn't we have just come out and said after hook beat ethan page he has 
he has been given the right for like we have gotten the rights to a match with you. And if we beat you, we're contractually free. Still messy, but enough of this fine well, but, print. But, but, we're, but it, we're under d- your dominion, but we're not under con- – like, dude, I so, so I Han- so so Han- despise Han- this story. Hansy's informing us that this hook contract was signed two weeks ago. Okay, so it's a brand new contract. But then you have to ask, why didn't Matt Hardy in this writing of the fine print write just if hook beats you, Ethan Page, um, I, our contracts are free? Why did he have to like? What's this Dominion bullshit? Like, is this? We need a lawyer. Okay, is there a lawyer in the chat? Let us know. Like, do you have to first negotiate Dominion before contracts? It's it's awful. It's absolutely terrible. I I think I'm sorry, Mark Sterling. You know, the, the AEW should never, never, ever do a contract storyline ever again. Um, none of them have been good. So Big Bill and Lee Moriarty jump Matt Hardy and Isaiah Cassidy. Hook runs down. Hook tries to throw Big Bill, but Ethan stops him. The firm are in control when Jeff Hardy makes his return. After 10 months away, he runs down with a chair that I can only imagine was his uh, his work and goes to town on everybody. Twist of fate to Moriarty. Swanton onto Lee Moriarty. And then he hugs Matt. The place went insane. And... That seemed to be the vibe that I got from like most people that it was like big, it was traded like a big return. Um, but for me, it's like I, I, I am concerned about this guy long term. I think that it's um, not uh, an alarmist reaction to have when this has been repeated. Um, that was a really, really scary incident last June. He is incredibly lucky he is alive. He is incredibly in luck, lucky that no one else uh, was injured. I hope that he has sought out um, remedy for that and that he is back into a a proper mind space. But pro wrestling has been something that has, no, it has led to a lot of problems with him. Um, Even with this reduced schedule that AEW represents, we saw what just several months into it uh, resulted in last year. So I'm, I look at this with extreme caution as, as he is back. Yeah, I, I don't think you're being alarmist to speak that way. You know, when this story came out of his latest arrest, a lot of us and a lot of the audience had no appetite to want to see a Jeff Hardy return to professional wrestling. And um, this is a situation where I think we we simply have to trust his employers, that his employers have given him appropriate ch- chances and, and to, to prove himself. And I have to assume a professional wrestling organization – um, has gone through those steps to make sure that this man is healthy enough, has enough precaution in his travel uh, to get from town to town to be able to do something like this, and that it's ultimately something that's of benefit to him and that he's not putting other people in danger. I really hope that all those things have, have taken place. Um, but Please yeah, hope this guy is is healthy and does does wrestling help or hurt that? Um, that that's going to be determined, obviously. But I, um, yeah, I just I, I can't see this just being the, the celebrated return without you know people being cautious and frankly concerned about him. Not not to mention others yeah. uh, as well that that comes with this. So I'm just a little bit like uh, torn between this. But you kind of have to hope for the best because um, this is somebody that he's under contract. You can see why AEW wants to to use yeah. him and. It it has been 10 months. It's not as though they, you know, just rushed him back and 
probably could have if they wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. I not not to say like I, I'd want this to be um, exploited or whatsoever, but like I almost am. I think the public might be a bit more assured through a bit more insight into what exactly led to him coming back. You know, what are the sort of the checks that that have that he's gone through? Um, and and what are the the precautions that they're taking right now? You know, like the the, the steps that they're like. I, I'm not suggesting this for like an all access or anything like that, but just some sort of information to let people know that what they're watching is not potentially going to harm this guy. You know that and that they can enjoy something like this guilt free. But maybe I'm only speaking for you know you and I because I I think a lot of people either aren't aware or don't really care and just are happy to see Jeff Hardy. It might be. Um... You know, you always look at stuff of like, you know, incorporating real life into stuff. I would find it really sleazy if this was worked into like, like heel promo stuff for a Jeff program. Like, I think that mm. uh, I, I feel that would be really uneasy because this does not feel as though this is something that is just, well, you know, so it'll happen John. from this man. Like we're talking. It will it, happen. Like, it, especially, you know, with the types of promos we've, we've had um, through Jeff's career. And, and Was AEW. it not mentioned in a, in a promo shortly after with Matt Hardy, after it happened last year? Oh, I don't I, I feel I don't it was brought up right now, once. But, anyway. Mm, yeah. um, anyway. So, anyway, it was a big story on, on the show. And we'll see. Like, it's, um, I, I think it certainly comes How with many, reservations. like, I, I feel like he's had several last chances. Like, is this is this the last chance? You know, Conventional can wisdom would say yes. I could not imagine partially like seeing a, another return, but it's he is a big star, and you heard it from this reaction. So you can never underestimate that ability. Yeah. Like, look at how many chances he has gotten at, at this point. Again, and, like, yeah, and and maybe, this is going back twenty years from when he yeah. he didn't want to go to rehab, and WWE had to let him go in two thousand three. We right. were talking about. Which is why I feel like a, a certain level of transparency with your audience, I think, is necessary for something like this. Because I think the last thing AEW would want and Tony Khan would want is to f- let have the audience feel like he's putting a guy onto screen, onto the road, when it might not be good for his health. So, and the style that he was working, too. I mean, that contributes to it as well. Like, you were watching this guy that was just killing himself in these matches. And like it's it just to me it all ties together that you that leads the audience i think to have a level of a concern but mm-hmm. there will be many that are not going to have that that level of thought when it goes into this kenny omega had a video message promising to take care of the bcc in the ring he talks to the bucks all the time and usually that's how they deal with these problems but when you hurt don Callis and split open his skull and concussed him now we take it personally Callus might not be liked by many, but he is still their family, and that's when you cross the line. Omega says, we could go blood for blood, but it's going to be worse than that. Much worse. Pretty ominous. Guts for guts. Guts. Oh, yes. That's that's probably the, the tie-in, yes. Blood or, for uh, blood. Yeah. Stampede um, for stampede. Uh, <laughs> sure. Anarchy for anarchy. Yeah. Moxley and Claudio against Brandon Cutler and Michael Nakazawa. Uh, BCC jumped these two on the way to the ring, and Moxley is using a chair. Claudio drills Nakazawa like 5,000 times into this apron, busting him open. Yuta's getting in on the attack, but Nakazawa crawls in, and Rick Knox, ring the bell, <laughs> just started. This guy's like bleeding to death. 
the crowd is chanting Nakazawa, which I was like, oh my God, what are we in store for here? He tries to fight back. Claudio just nails him with a lariat. Giant swing as Moxley is skipping up and down the apron during this giant swing. He puts on the sharpshooter and then a bloody Brandon Cutler tries to save. Nakazawa stops a Ricola bomb. Moxley's in with Cutler and Moxley is drilling him with strikes, bites his nose, but Cutler comes back with a clothesline. And what made this is that Cutler is bleeding with the face mask on. So this looks like a wall that has been painted on this man's face of blood. It was quite the visual. Moxley kills him with a lariat, death rider, bulldog choke. But in comes Nakazawa to save Cutler. So Moxley and, and Claudio drill these two with strikes until Rick Knox calls for the stoppage at three minutes and six seconds. This was not my match of the show, but this was so great. These three minutes, we don't get enough three-minute matches like this in professional wrestling. I, I thought this was as perfect as it could be for what they were set out, setting out to achieve. And Cutler and Nakazawa were so fantastic. Highly entertaining. Absolutely. I mean, it's just like, you know, like feeding... I don't know, um, some prey to, to the wolves, like, and just, you know, watching, watching them tear these poor guys apart, as is their function right now in this company. I mean, Nakazawa and Cutler are about as sort of like um, perfect of a jobber team as you can get, and to just feed them to the BCC for them to tear them apart. Blood. Like, this was a case, when, when they showed Cutler was busted open, I was like, ah, okay, is this so necessary? Like, you know, Nakazawa is already bleeding. By the end of the match, I would argue it was because I think he wanted to show both of these guys completely brutalized as a way to send a message, of course, to the elite. I I thought it worked for, for those same reasons. Mm-hmm. I can also see like this audience is so numb to blood that it does lessen some of the impact when you do something like this. Like it's so commonplace um, that if it was more restricted, like this would stand out in a more violent and gruesome way. But to me, it's still hit in that regard because I, I it's still I, accentuated and, and amplified the effect. So, yeah, this yeah. is great. Mox gets onto the microphone. He is just on fire here. Well, Where what's, a, young- what's amazing is that like this crowd did not cheer for the BCC. No. Usually for this sort of like heel beatdown, massacring these jobbers. I mean, you might. Did they chant crowds- it? We got a Michael Nakazawa chant on national television. Yeah, they got legitimate heat for this beatdown of these jobbers and and maybe part partially it's because cutler and nakazawa at this point are fan favorites cult favorites but i think it's also because just man this was like a scary beatdown from mox and claudio moxley calls on where are the bucks where's hangman where's don Callis? they're all still at the hospital glass jaws glass egos we put the elite in all elite wrestling and with that kenny omega comes out and he's waiting on the state on the ramp when the Young Bucks enter through the crowd, super kick the BCC, and then they're attacking Moxley. They hit him with a BTE trigger, and Omega brings out an equipment box, and they're going to use the box. The Bucks stop Omega and instead hand him a screwdriver, and he is going to get revenge on behalf of Hangman Page when Claudio pulls Moxley out of the way as Moxley uh, moves away, and Omega stabs the turnbuckle pad with the screwdriver. So... I mean, on the one hand, um, this was a real big surprise to have these three back and in a physical angle. But I would have to say, if it was uh, if I was Nakazawa and Cutler, I'd be like, thanks, guys. You couldn't have come to my aid any any quicker than this. You had to wait for your big elaborate return through the crowd. We just got uh, massacred 
uh, for five minutes while you guys were uh, plotting your, your return. But um, big the element of, for the it's return. the element of surprise, John. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the sacrificial lambs, Nakazawa and Cutler. But we are obviously getting towards a a big multi-man showdown between the BCC and the elite and who that will comprise. Will Will Hangman Page and, and Don Callis join uh, team, uh, team Elite? Hangman, well, I'm not so sure about uh, Don Callis joining because he's still very much playing Kenny, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and also, I don't think he's taken many bumps, especially with... Um, Oh, he took a legit one a few weeks ago, so yeah. he's on but the mend. This feud is shaping up really nicely. It's feeling really, really nice and intense with every single one of these appearances. The BCC as a heel faction are really, really effective. Like they're they're going to be on fire. Like they already are kind of on fire. You know, especially by the time they announce what looks to be Blood and Guts or Anarchy in the Arena, either one. There's probably both really, and and all those matches are are going to be really incredible. Yeah, I I don't know what the I don't even know if he's on the show next week, but they are in Pittsburgh next week. And somehow I just feel there's such an opportunity for Danielson to do another great promo where he's in the city where he got his clearance all those years ago from Joseph Maroon and how he somehow ties that into um, like uh, uh, turning against the fans or just something to to lend itself to make it specific to Pittsburgh. I could totally see them doing something like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. We'll see. Shivani is with us. Swerve, Prince Nana, and Brian Cage, essentially teasing more members, joining Mogul Embassy, and they have some unsettled scores, which was actually a a tease for what would happen later in the main event. Well, they've got um, so Toa and uh, Khan, Khan, and we've got uh, Tattoo Face and um, Parker. Well, I I don't know what the the future of Tattoo Face and uh, Parker Boudreau are going to be. What's his name? Trench. 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 Yeah. French and was he just going as Parker Boudreaux? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. He went from a trust buster to a uh, member of the mogul affiliates. And now I, I don't know. They're, they did not get over in that, or at least Parker teaming with Swerve. That was, that was mm. not a great match. Riho and Sky Blue against Tony Storm and Ruby Soho. Uh, they go through the commercial break. Storm misses with a hip attack. Um, Blue hits a kick off the apron, leaping Rana to Tony Storm, and then a super kick to Soho into a Riho crucifix bomb. Storm kills Blue with the Storm Zero after a hip attack in six minutes, 22 seconds. They continue to beat on Blue and attack Riho. They spray paint Riho, triple powerbomb her. And Jamie Hayter, who was on the uh, the Omega Young Bucks clock, runs out like after all of this post-match beatdown. It was like maybe uh, her trailer was like on the other side of the arena or something because it was a long wait. I so was... I, I think you could have that complaint about several people, you know, throughout this this evening um, matches. Maybe there's a gate, you know, maybe they finally figured out, OK, in Gorilla, we're going to put a we're going to lock the doors so you can't just sneak through and interrupt the match. Maybe they should explain that. Um, the heels change like the monitors backstage. It's not the live feed. It's on like a seven second delay. You're only getting the TBS feed backstage in their okay. in their trailers. So they're yeah. naturally going to be late. Well, that would make sense too. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. Jamie Hader runs down and she just gets stomped down. It's like three on one. This was not a great save. So then Britt Baker comes down, big pop, and fights with Soraya. Soraya avoids getting hit with the curb stomp. And that will set up next week in Pittsburgh, Britt Baker and her hometown teaming with Hader against Tony Storm and Ruby Soho. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so, you know, more integration with the Hater and Baker now with, with these originals. I think the outcasts have certainly been far improved in this iteration with Ruby's edition. I think as a tandem now, like the three of them, they have matching outfits. Um, the spray paint must have, they must have changed spray paint brands because the L actually showed up on a rehost chest this week. So that's an improvement. I'm ready for this thing though, to really get cooking. You know, I feel like we've, we've gone through a lot of these matches now in these weeks. I'm ready for some more plot. I'm ready for some more promos and not just these sort of showcase matches of the outcasts and them cheating. So hopefully we get that next week in Pittsburgh. Uh, then we go to uh, the Rampage lineup for Friday night after the NBA game. Aussie Open defending their IWGP tag titles against the best friends. Taya Valkyrie against Amy Sakura. Mark Briscoe teams with Jay Lethal, Jeff Jarrett, and Satnam Singh in an eight-man tag. Jack Perry will take on Sean Spears and then we will also have an announcement by FTR. Um, can, can we go over the, the announcement by FTR? It is somewhat uh, yeah, noteworthy, and I don't do think it. people. Uh, are uh, sorry, in. if you're going to be spoiled by this, oh, um, you, you ruined listening. my Friday night. <laughs> so the the announcement they gave, they did an in ring promo stating they have signed a four year deal with AEW and they will retire at the end of the contract. So either okay. this is this is a long term retirement. Or we will look back four years from now. And remember that time they said they were going to retire in four uh, four years ago. I, yeah, I've I've I've. That's heard, a long time in pro wrestling. Yeah, I've 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 heard enough of uh, about pro wrestling retirements to basically hold no belief in a statement like that. Uh, but that that is you're not going to know what you're wanted going to want to do in four years time. Come on. Uh, so Pittsburgh, in addition to the women's tag, Hobbs will defend the TNT title against Wardlow. Chris Jericho and Keith Lee is the main event. Daniel Garcia is in the corner of Jericho, constantly getting involved. Keith Lee kissed Jericho on the forehead at one point during during this as he had the advantage. Uh, there was a lion salt by Jericho. Garcia's grabbing the leg of Lee to stop a, a beal. Jericho avoided the spirit bomb, and then Lee comes back with the pounce and hits a moonsault off the second turnbuckle, landing on Jericho's knees. But he's so big that Jericho's knees are the ones that are damaged here. Uh, but this moonsault off the second turnbuckle was looked like he landed it pretty well for a guy of his size. Gouge of the eyes to Lee, and then the walls get applied. Lee reaches the rope, and Jericho lets go thinking he's won. And Garcia's tossed into the ring. Lee takes on both of them, stops a code breaker, and deadlifts Jericho up for a powerbomb. Garcia distracts Aubrey Edwards when Swerve appears uh, where his face is covered, and he nails Keith Lee with an object. And Aubrey just turns around. She's so confused. What happened to Keith Lee? And Jericho just rolls on top, getting the pin in 14 minutes and 15 seconds. And Detective Shivani says, it was very apparent it was Swerve Strickland. Thank you. The case is closed by Tony <laughs> Shivani, who de- detected it was Swerve Strickland. He ended up taking his mask off in the crowd. So, yeah. Yes. Was. So there you go. Um, if you had forgotten that Swerve and Keith Lee were uh, having a program, you were reminded of it at the end of this. But with like seconds to go in the show, out comes Adam Cole. For his contribution to the show, he checks on his buddy Keith Lee, which we didn't go over this. This this match was um, Jericho disrespected Adam Cole by coming down to pick up Daniel Garcia's remaining life form after the loss. And that was disrespectful. And Keith Lee likes Adam Cole and is going to fight on his behalf for this disrespect 
these two that I, I've never seen an on-camera relationship with. But now I mean, the they, they were trying to explain like they fe- they feuded in NXT, and through feuded. that they build mutual respect after the feud. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, well, well, uh, you need a reason to, for Keith Lee, I guess, on TV. And well, so Adam Cole came down Cole. and he did the exact same pause that Jericho did and looking over his shoulder. And Jericho is furious at this, furious that Adam Cole came down and fist bumped Keith Lee and walked to the back. And um, dude, this is a very, very, Oh, very subtle, subtle difference of opinions of these two personalities that are just going to escalate into anarchy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I I can't say it's 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 maybe been the best material yet. Um, I I don't know. I'm I'm still kind of um, undecided on Adam Cole as this sort of babyface character, but um, uh, and and, and as uh, the choice of a feud with Chris Jericho maybe being that first one is maybe still questionable, but I. I think Keith Lee was really impressive in the match, you know, showed in, incredible uh, strength. Um, not my match of the night, but I still found it pretty entertaining. I, this was one where I felt like Adam Cole really should have showed up, shown up like during the match itself, you know, with when Daniel Garcia kept getting involved. Um, why did he wait till the end of the match? These baby faces are very, they have a long leash for these heels before it's finally enough is enough. What it is is AEW and Tony wanting to give you finishes, okay? Um, wanting to give you full matches, but also wanting to do a lot of heel interference. But when you have like baby faces that are siding with these heel, you know, th- that who ha- who actually have friends we know backstage, I guess it, I, I I still ask the question: Why haven't they shown up during the match? Yeah, I'm not advocating for more run-ins because there are a lot on these shows, but when you see the pattern, it does kind of like that logic is kind of brought up. Like when when you're going to the extent in some angles where you've locked people in locker rooms or you've come up with reasons for the baby faces not to come to their aid, you do plant that in people's heads that that is the expectation. Like where are these people's uh, backups? Where are their friends? And um, yeah, there were a few examples on this show. Um, This was one where I I did not have quite the uh, high expectations for Dynamite going in. I did not think this was like a blowaway show, but I thought two really strong matches with a Darby and Swerve and Orange Cassidy and Buddy Matthews. I thought that was very, very strong. Those two, I, the MJF promo segment with Darby and Sting was a high point of the show. I would say those, those were the big things. And the contract stuff with the firm is, it's one of the, one of the worst AEW stories. I just, I mean, you got this big pop with Jeff Hardy at the end of it. And I assume that we are just moving on from Matt Hardy's uh, dominion. Well, he, he still has to fight for his contract freedom. So that match still has to take place. So we're not just uh, out yet. And what happens to Jeff Hardy's contract? Who's got that? Uh, We will find out. Maybe, maybe he's under the dominion of somebody. Uh, I think the elite and BCC feud is shaping up really, really nicely. Yeah, that that was a very good segment uh, from from the uh, the destruction of Nakazawa and Cutler to the post match returns. Yeah. Like it, this was one of those shows where, again, it was sort of interesting. Like if you tuned in, maybe you were not blown away by this lineup, but if you just thought, "Well, I'm going to tune in for this show," and you got unannounced uh, Sting, Jeff Hardy, the Elite. Um, you know, by the end of it, it's like, man, you you certainly delivered. If you were a fan that just tuned in. And 
trusted that it would be an entertaining show. Like you were given a lot on this. Yeah. When we're talking about double or nothing and just the prospect of having, you know, anarchy in the arena with the elite versus BCC and also this four pillars, four way match that already looks pretty like strong on the top end. The rest of the card, I still have maybe some questions about because I think whatever's going on with Wardlow, yeah, it was okay. Like I'm, I'm not terribly maybe uh, rig- it hasn't reignited my interest in Wardlow. Um, Jericho and Cole, eh, like I'm sure the match will be good, but like I, I'm not that into the story just yet. But it's still early. And then we've got like the Mogul affiliates, which I don't even know if they're going to make it on the pay-per-view or if it just might be another. Like it's Keith Lee versus Swerve again. And um, again, they haven't finished the program, but am I am I that interested in seeing them continue it? Well, let's see what they can do. Can you see them squeezing out one more run for the tag titles with the, with the Hardys going after FTR? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're not just going to pair the Hardy boys and not have them challenge for the belts. I do think you can do that like one solid time of them doing the the run for the tag titles. And I can see them holding the championship. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by nerd Wallet's smart money podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with on nerd Wallet's smart money podcast. Their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right, let's uh, open it up to you, the listeners, with Super Chats and your feedback. We've got a super chat here from Matt Hahn. Sends $5. Thank you for the support, Matt. He says, I'm hoping that we'll get Orange Cassidy versus Takeshita, and that's where Orange drops the title. Also agreed that Orange is underappreciated. Well, Takeshita is one of many options that, that you could uh, certainly go with, Yeah, um, where he gets that, that big win. Um, and with Callis, I guess, recuperating, I, I don't know if, if he's waiting That's probably that. set, set back some of those plans. Like, they were starting to really move forward with those and yeah like Callis to go like a really nasty fall in that segment with uh the bcc backstage or, or could take sort of be a fifth member um for potential you know anarchy arena blood and guts type of thing uh he, he could be um he could also at, at some point have uh have another former um member so, of their fraternity so are, is it or is it more likely to be four on four because there are only four BCC members. We've got four BCC members, so they yeah, would have to do some recording. So yeah. maybe they keep it four on four. Even mm-hmm. uh, forum.postwrestling.com. You ready, John? I am. We'll start off with Jomo. The Bucks are back, and I couldn't be happier. Well, I could be happier if there was any explanation why Dark Order didn't get involved last week or this week with the BCC. But seeing the best tag team of all time back on TV will always make me happy with my viewing choice. I feel like the ex-Bullet Club leaders have all been booked pretty highly wherever they ended up, but Jay White feels mid-card as hell thus far. Bullet Club Gold sounds like a lame, corporatized attempt to sell shirts in celebration of the 10th anniversary, which it very well could be. Buddy Matthews sells like crazy. He and Orange Cassidy had the match of the night for me, but only slightly ahead of Swerve and Darby. Love how love how Smarts in The Last Supper and Mousetrap got the wins. Two really good matches and a few good angles made for a good show. Where is Pac? Pac has been, um, he's been off AEW since January. He did the, the OTT shows back um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Scrapper Mania shows. But yeah, he is... 
I I don't know what the issue is with him. I if it's um Hack seems to take like like pretty frequent hiatuses and I don't know if it's due to visa issues or or what, but yeah, like it seems like he's he goes missing for a few months at a time. Yeah. Oh. Uh, let's go to Kate from Montreal who says I really enjoyed Darby versus Swerve no surprise there and the Darby MJF Sting promo segment that followed I like the idea of a four way between the pillars which is where I think we're going but I could see Darby getting a rematch on his own assuming he's not the one taking the pin he feels at a, at a level that's just above Jungle Boy and Sammy Orange Cassidy has done a great job with his title run and I hope that whoever takes it off of him will continue to treat it like a belt that needs to be defended frequently and impressively. I love the House of Black but it was probably the right move to keep the title on Cassidy. The match was still good for Matthews who's needed the opportunity to show what he could do. Compared to those two, the main event event felt kind of plodding i i get why it was pay, placed where it was but the drop in crowd energy was very obvious at least we're going to get a proper finish to the sword and lee feud i genuinely hope jeff hardy has his demons under control yeah i think everyone is is hoping uh for that uh in terms of the the four-way what what i really like about what they are doing and it's like i'm like three ways and four ways they to me are they're very hard to build up and capture that interest of a big, big title match that a singles match can present. What they're doing here is they are, I think they're making the audience want to see all of these singles matches. And it's almost like this campaign of the different challengers And each week. It's this person's argument and that person's argument. And then at the end, you want to see all of them. And I feel this is the rare four way that it to me is going to click once they, pull the trigger and yeah. we've got six weeks to go until the pay-per-view. You do not have to rush this to get to the announcement. I think they've done a really good job and I'm pretty optimistic of this headlining a pay-per-view. And if this does like a good number, it's a real feather in the caps of all of these four involved that this could be a pay-per-view that they carry in, in, in that sense, um, not mm-hmm. knowing what the rest of the card is, but I, I really like what they're doing and it's, like they're com- making these compelling stories for all three of these challengers. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. They just, they need all of the other challengers need to be impressive though. And I, I thought Sammy had a great promo last week. I thought certainly Darby had an excellent promo this week. Um, did we get anything solo from jungle boy as yet? Yeah, they did the, they did a promo w- with him. Um, yeah, the first one actually. Yeah, that he was, was, he was yeah. yeah. So that so was, yeah, he said it really good too. Actually, so all three have have been. They've all had their promo segments. Yeah, and I think the it's already at a stage where I think the audience is expecting a four way, and they, you know, it'd be weird if like they suddenly announced uh, a one on one match between Darby and MJF at this point. Um, it's different. It's special. It's certainly a test for like this new generation. Um, but this pay per view is also going to have uh, presumably anarchy in the arena to you know uphold it as well Um, but still like they're giving a whole lot of tv time for this um four pillars feud and you can certainly credit it for a lot of attention if if the show ends up doing well or bad okay cody from maine i enjoyed most of the show especially the opening 30 minutes sting's run in AEW has been everything a fan of his could have asked for that said i have two big concerns the first being the holding pattern booking of the women's division not that the matches segments have been bad but i swear it's been nearly two straight months of the same thing every week blood and guts can't come soon enough for them 
The second is a return of Jeff Hardy. I got nervous about a return when Matt recently began speaking about him publicly and of Jeff being in a good place. Those concerns were validated tonight. It's hard to feel like a wrestling ring is the best place for him. Another negative incident would be a massive black eye for Tony Khan and the company as a whole, and it's tough to be confident in avoiding such an incident, whether it be an injury in the ring or his struggles outside of it. Um, also mentions on the barricade discussion we had on Monday, I was at the ROH 15th anniversary show in 2017, where TK Orion broke his leg over the top of the guardrail after overshooting an Osai moonsault. Yeah, this was a devastating injury that uh, TK Orion suffered. That was the moment for me where I would have been fine with never seeing a steel rail and wrestling ever again, not worth the risk, especially for major promotions who can afford safer options. And on the G1, it was mentioned that it looks like we'll get the four blocks again this year and that there's a good chance for outside talent to join the field. If that's the case, I'd love to see a format where AEW has a wrestler in A block impact in the B block and so on for Noah and all Japan. AEW obviously has plenty of options impacted since someone like Gresham, Speedball, etc. would be a great way to spice up the tournament this year. So an outsider in each block, which I would be fine with. The issue they always run into is that New Japan wants to bulk it up with a lot of their mm-hmm. of, the, of their stars as well. But you, I don't know if they go as much as four uh, people, but I, I would certainly expect like you're you're going to at least get some like coming off this uh, joint show with, with Noah and all Japan. You're working a lot with AEW. You've got the relationship with impact. Like now is the time to, you, you could certainly spice it up with uh, some extra names to create some new matches and different flavor in each of the blocks. I, I, I certainly like the idea of, you know, sort of an outsider in every single block. Um, the more outsiders, the, the, the better, in my opinion. Um, How about they put speedball in each of the four blocks and he just wrestles multiple times every single day. Um, he could do it. I bet. Yeah. He did and 10 matches, uh, mania weekend. He ended yeah, up Brandon uh, take, Thurston, taking the crown. Brandon Thurston did the tally. And at least according to cage match, he seems to, he did himself last year. And this year again, took the crown for most active wrestler of WrestleMania weekend. So, uh, congratulations to speedball Bailey. Um, are, do you see blood and guts for, for this, uh, outsiders, Sorry, Outcast. What do they call it? Outcast versus Originals feud for the women. I, I could see it. Yeah, for television. I think awesome. Blood and Guts. I feel like is it might be a shoe in for you know BCC versus um, Elite. Just maybe given the the nature of the promotion so far, just how. Blood well, then thirsty. do the women get Anarchy in the arena? Like those are your two gimmick matches that are would if if the history is indicating like those are coming up. In the yeah, next month or so. I, I I see Tony Khan giving like the BCC Elite feud both of those things, but it, you could justifiably split it split it up. I, I that would be a big test, you know. Anarchy, like, like the women's program is not that red hot, but it would yeah. be you know it's it's a big match to put them in, and I I don't doubt like everyone would be you know working super hard, but it's it's a very high standard, especially for that Anarchy in the arena of what they did last year. Like that yeah. that was an incredible incredible match that they did. Um, it was it was like a stadium stampede, but live and not like no editing after the fact. Like you had to have what was it, ten bodies and following them all over everywhere. Yeah, 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 and and much of that because of the intensity that like a John Moxley managed to bring into it. And I, I, I think we're going to get the elite versus BCC for that, but. I mean, there have been a lot of great women's war games matches that uh, NXT has put on. Maybe it's time for AEW to, you know, try their try make their attempt at it uh, with with this current storyline. So it could be blood and guts. We'll see. Okay, um, let's go up next to Jordan from the Bronx, who says Swerve and Darby are effortlessly 
effortlessly great together in the ring. I just wish that the match didn't take place tonight. I feel that both need wins at the moment and Swerve taking lost days after forming the Mogul Embassy was slightly deflating. The wacky telegraphing of powerhouse Hobbs new car getting wrecked was on the level of Randy Orton's NASCAR. <laughs> I laughed hysterically when Nakazawa was literally swung out of his shoes by Claudio. Oh, Bullet dude, Cla- Claudio kicks the shoe and it flies over the top rope towards the hard camera. It was like the most graceful kick of a man's shoe from the canvas out to the crowd. I imagine he's quite the uh, football fan. Oh, it was player. like it would be tough to get some height off a sh- kicking a shoe and yeah. getting and clearing a rope. Like Impressive. that's that's not as easy as it sounds. Like a ball, okay, but a shoe? He's a super athlete. Yeah. Uh, Bullet Club Gold is interesting. I wonder who they would add to the group. They could use some people from New Japan or perhaps group new members from the AEW roster. It'll be fun to see the get them rolling. Um, I don't know if that's sarcastic or not. That re- it reads as <laughs> Bullet Club Gold is interesting. It'll be fun to see them get rolling. I guess uh, open minded here. We'll see. I don't think it's sarcastic, but if you if you needed to add members, um, who could you see joining the Bullet Club Gold? Oh, maybe they'll scout the the firm uh, exodus when when that falls apart. I need a chart. Like I need somebody to explain to me this this actual hierarchy of Bullet Club members. You know, like what what does it mean? Like for um, Chris Bay and Ace Austin, um, what what where are other sects of Bullet Club that? Yeah, how does House of Torture fit in? Are the elite still technically a part of it because we've they've shown prior affiliation? What is the what is hey, the OC? Who, who gave the two sweet signal on tonight's show? Um, I forget who. Sting. Okay, well, who knows? Black. Hey. He's been a member of many factions in the past. Uh, okay, he goes on to say, I'm worried on Jeff Hardy's return. I hope that he's in a good, a good place and wish him the best. However, this must be the final straw. Finally, Orange Cassidy has been having a great run in the last few months. Anyone that calls him a comedy wrestler at this point are just not giving him enough credit for what he's doing, establishing the international title. Who can you see taking the belts from him? I like Swerve with the title, and I feel like it could be a compelling matchup. Swerve's a great candidate, I think. You know, Swerve's a good one. Takesh is a good one. I also like the idea of just like someone we're not thinking of that all of a sudden, like it's just, not only could you do just the story of all these injuries piling up, but then whoever is the one that it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back. And you have this litany of challengers that all lay claim to beating down orange Cassidy, that you have all these different matches that you can make. And that title Mm -hmm. can, for all we have said, this, this international title that was like derided for its look and rightfully so. And you know, another title, Cassidy has really done as strong a job in making yet another title in AEW that I I can't give you the definition of what the international title represents. But to me, what it represents right now is a kick-ass match on pretty much a weekly basis from one of the best performers in, in the industry. And it's a hell of a task, the person that's following this run. Completely. It's the, it's the champion that really makes the championship uh, in many cases and this run has been fantastic for it i wouldn't say in terms of prestige it's up there with like the like it hasn't surpassed the tnt championship but i can even cassidy i think it it does mean something now like of cassidy and whoever is the one that sort of ends this run for him I'm really interested in this continued storyline of him just kind of like having a tougher and tougher time 
defending this championship throughout the weeks because of these mounting injuries. Um, it's going to demand a lot more great selling in these matches from Cassidy as the weeks go on to the point where maybe if Jeff Jarrett can get a rematch and he might actually be convincingly, you know, able to beat an Orange Cassidy. Be interesting. It would be interesting. Yeah, it would be a, interesting. Another word. Yeah, it would be interesting. That's it. Surprised. All right. Thank you, everyone. We've gone late tonight, uh, recapping Dynamite, going through all of the latest news. We'll be live. Well, I will be with Brandon Thurston Thursday at two thirty p.m. Eastern time with Brandon Ross of Lightshed Partners. So if you can't get enough of the WWE UFC merger, all the different uh, questions it brings about, our countdown to the Q1 earnings call. This will be the interview for you. And then Wei and I will be checking back in on the Post Wrestling Cafe Friday night, 10 p.m. Eastern time. I don't care when the NBA game ends. We're going live at 10 p.m. Eastern time because we never get bumped on our network here. So that will be coming up Friday. Postmark Saturday with Brandon from New Jersey. WrestleNomics on Sunday with the whole WrestleNomics crew. And Monday, Early Monday, I will have a show on the cafe with John Ceno covering Impact Rebellion. So we will have Ceno's uh, viewing from home and my live perspective um, <laughs> where I will be very much uh, the guy that will be seated for the entire three hours of the pay-per-view. And uh, WH Park might be uh, giving me a piggyback to my car afterwards. So there you have it. That is what's coming up for us this weekend. Way, uh, any closing words for those that are um, looking forward to the CN Tower climb that we are going to engage. What what do you have? What is your final message to those that are doubting what we can pull off? Oh, come on. Listen, we we might be guys who just sit in front of microphones to speak, okay? But I'll tell you what we have, John. Grit. Plenty of it, okay? The grit is going to come out on Sunday, and we are going to outlast... Outwit and outgrit the competition. Six minutes flat. Get ready. We're coming. 